All right, welcome to another week of the Between Two Pines podcast. This week, we have myself, Austin, and my lovely co-host, Zach. Uh, This week, we'll be talking about what we did this week in the outdoors, some interesting outdoor news, and then we have an excellent interview this week with Cody Honor. He's a professional angler, um, part of the FLW, or previously part of the FLW Tour, is currently fishing the Bassmasters Tournament Series. Um, He gives us a lot of insight into life on the road, a lot of different things, so stay tuned. That'll be later in the episode. Um, But, Zach, let's get right into it. What did you do this week in the outdoors? I know you you had a big big thing um, you did this week. Missouri's opener was Monday the 20th, so I went out for turkeys, and uh, I filled my first turkey tag and uh, just uh, shot my new bow. I got a new Bowtech bow, and... Um, caught a couple of bluegills. Bluegills are starting to heat up here, so uh, it's been a pretty productive week. Um, you want me to go into the? You want me to go into the turkey story? That's then? awesome. Yeah, yeah. Going to. Um, yeah, let's hear about this so turkey. I got. I've been scouting quite a bit at a couple spots, and I knew where some birds were just from being out and about and whatnot. And um, I. One of my uh, compulsive things is nobody's going to beat me to a spot. So I got up at 1.30 a.m. opening morning. I got to I got to the what the hell? <laughs> I First got to off, the parking lot the at 2.30. Uh, I slept for about half hour, 45 minutes in the truck. And then I just walked into the woods at like 3.45, 4 o'clock. Um, is probably half a mile, three quarters of a mile down the down the field into the woods. Um, her, it was just cool to be out. You heard nothing, and then one or two whippoorwills started going, and then a couple birds started chirping, and then like twenty whippoorwills are sounding off, and then all this is going on, and then it just gets real quiet, and then just out of nowhere, just Arr! turkeys just start going off. I'm like, man. I love this. And uh, so I'm sitting there and it's about, I think shooting time was six o'clock and I'm hearing birds kind of everywhere. Um, Then they shut up when they fly down and about seven o'clock rolls around and I just start hearing boom. I'm just like, what the heck was that? Like Jake break on the highway or something, just like way the heck off there. And then I hear it a little closer, boom, boom. And I'm like, holy crap, that's a turkey drumming. Like, he's close. And hmm. I hear like a, I heard a hen cluck a little while before that. And I just thought it was somebody else because it was pretty far away. Um, but then that got closer too. So I was like, well, what I have going on is a hen's walking down this little tiny ridge top that I set up on. And the Tom's following her strutting right next to her. So I'm starting to just talk with that hen, just clucking back and forth and trying to get her worked up. And she does get worked up. And I just see behind my decoy, there's a tree. And behind that tree, I just see a fan going back and forth. Um, Long story short with that, they never, the Tom never gave me a shot. So I, it was about seven 30 and he just never gave me a shot. Him and the hen just kind of went off into their thing. And uh, 
that was kind of my morning hunt. So I went home, uh, just kind of shoved some more coffee in me and mixed the water in because all I had drank before that was coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, I got to get back out there. And I hit the woods again at probably 9 30, 10 o'clock and just a different area. I walked way down this real deep uh, drainage or holler, as they call them here. And uh, once I get to the bottom, I just hear this this way far off Tom just going nuts way, way the heck away from me. But I can walk closer. I can probably walk another couple hundred yards before I hit the public boundary border. And so I get as close as I can, button up to some private. And the the private must have had roosters and peacocks because I just heard those things going nuts. And that's what was mm-hmm. getting that turkey to fire up. And so I just sit down. I just start clucking real light. He's not really responding to me. He's more just responding when the peacocks and roosters go off. But uh, after about an hour... I make a move, get about 50 yards closer. I still think he's probably two, 300 yards away. And it's uh, 11, 1130, and he just shuts up completely. And then 15 minutes later, that peacock goes off again, and that turkey gobbles his head off right where I was sitting originally. 50 yards away. And I cannot see him because I went through this huge briar patch and now i'm on the other side of it and i just can't see him he can't see me he knows there's someone around but he just doesn't know where um as a hen as me being a hen but so he does that a couple times i hear him drumming too and he walks away and i probably i go i make a move to where he was standing at at probably 12 30 and 12.45 rolls around. I finally get to where he was. He's gone by now. Um, and Missouri stops. Every day you have to stop turkey hunting at 1 in the state. So I'm like, well, it's getting to be closing time. I need to head out of here. And I'm just going to walk out quietly and just start clucking my way out just to see if I strike anything up. And just so I know for tomorrow. So I was on this flat. And I need to go over a ridge, down this huge drainage, and then up this huge hill back to the road. So I get over that first little top ridge. And I just start walking down. I just get let out like three little clucks. And then I don't hear anything, but I just hear step, step, step. And I'm like, that's not a squirrel. And then it's getting closer. Step, step. Just the leaves are crunching and everything. And I just said, I better get my gun up just in case something, I don't know if it's a pig or, a, you know, something <laughs> or a deer or a turkey. And then 10 yards in front of me, because I'm in some thick stuff, 10 yards in front of me, out walks this Jake turkey. And I just say, done, done deal. And I raised up and shot him right there. And it was, I was the happiest man in the world at that second. And it was, I looked at my clock, 12.52, eight minutes before closing on opening morning. That's a, that's a good day. And uh, we'll uh, definitely, I would say, we'll post that picture up or you can post that picture up on the Instagram. Good turkey for. Uh, yeah. I mean, nothing special. His spurs were uh, 
just nubs, like a four inch beard. He was 15 and a half pounds, but, um, you know, I love putting turkey meat in the freezer and it was just, uh, just an awesome way to finish opening morning. And it's just fun down here because there's so much contiguous public land that you could just walk and hunt all day long. So just kind of a new experience for me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's sweet. And then, uh, you got your new bow, caught some fish, shot a turkey. Yeah. yeah you and, uh, one hot week. tip for Easy turkeys that I have always heard. And I finally put into effect today or opening day is start up high. You can call turkeys or turkeys work up high all the time. And then they move down into fields and stuff. So I guess if one thing I learned, yeah. One thing I've learned is that if you start up high, you can always work down, but because they start up high, don't go up high later in the day, start up high. And if they pass you work down with them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I know in Wisconsin, that's a little bit more difficult to do. Yeah. But I mean, even just rises or dikes Uh, or anything, just start uh, a little higher. And those like road tops or just those flat ridges, they, they're just like deer. They just walk those lazy trails whenever they can. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Like I said, you had quite the eventful week. Um, yeah, I guess for me, uh, I built a pigeon coop. Why the heck you building a pigeon uh, coop? They're in there. Um, I bought all the supplies. My girlfriend has pet pigeons. And, uh, you know, they're they're the little characters. Um, they're, they're good to look at. I mean, they're like ornamental pigeons, so they're kind of cool looking. But she's got them, and she's had them in cages in her house for a while. And... Um, it's time to get them outside, you know, so they're out of her house. And uh, so, yeah, so I built a big pigeon coop, big, big old thing, eight feet high by eight feet long by it's a pigeon mansion. So, I mean, this thing's like the size of a shed. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. No kidding. I told her, I was like, if these things don't appreciate oh, yeah. this, they're, they're going to be jalapeno poppers. Um, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I believe that. Uh, but yeah, so I did that. That was a, you know, interesting little project. And then, uh, I got some of the supplies that, which I think I might start doing a series on the Instagram live, um, or, you know, on the Instagram story of I'm rebuilding. I have a 1648 John boat, uh, 1648 mod V, uh, Alumacraft that I am converting into a bass boat slash hunting boat which I mean, I guess it is already in its inherent nature, but um, I'm putting a deck on it, electronics, all that stuff. So I'm basically starting with a blank slate, built and everything. So I got some of the supplies, the plywood, some of the different stuff. So paint, I'll be working on that quite a bit. And then went on a couple bike rides. I mean, the weather here in Wisconsin has not been good. We've been still in the 30s. So really has not been, uh, it's not spring here yet. So we'll get that figured out. But yeah, not a whole heck of a lot. The weather hasn't been overly cooperative. So yeah, full spring. Exactly. Um, yeah, but that's all I got going. And obviously uh, the COVID stuff puts a little damper on things. So just been laying low. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, Zach, you Go want ahead. To if you want to bring news? us into the 
the one for turkeys. Yeah, so this first article, which it's turkey hunting season, and I know we've talked about turkeys in the past, had a whole episode on them. Um, So this is out of Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. An 11-month-long investigation determined that nearly 100 wild turkeys have been poached in Mississippi in roughly 15, uh, 15 properties in about five counties. Uh, but they issued 280 wildlife violations to 14 people. So this is like an unprecedented poaching operation that these people were doing. Um, and uh, so mo- uh, most of them have already been charged. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious and I wish I had more information on this. They didn't say what they were going to get charged, you know, what the, the repercussions were. But I was like, good Lord. Oh, you yeah. might be talking um, jail time. Especially old Kenneth Ray Britt, 39. He was charged with 142 violations himself. Yeah. Well, I know for most, yeah, screw uh, screw for most misdemeanors uh-huh. and things along that lines, if it's over $1,000... It's at the discretion of the officer to uh, turn that into a felony. So, I mean, this is, I think, a lot. I think two, uh, two different poaching things for turkeys already equals over a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got a hundred and forty-two. Imagine yeah, being hit I, with 142 uh, He tickets. needs either jail time or yeah, license tar- revocation for life or something along those lines because that's uh, that has to be a, a world record. Yeah, that, and I could just about guarantee, you know, my gut instinct says that everyone involved is going to have lifelong uh, revocation of their of their licenses. And I would be willing to bet yeah, that a few and of probably them a lot have, of pre-existence. That that's my gut. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, screw these guys, all of them. And I I could say on behalf of this podcast, screw these <laughs> yep. guys. And that you could take that's on record. Screw these guys. Um, yeah, that's oh my god, over a hundred birds that they poached. That's come on, come on, people. What are you doing? But yeah, this is a almost a year long investigation. Screw these guys. Four people were Every, arrested. Everybody, they're all a bunch of everybody turns. makes mistakes. That's my things that's happen. My but uh, for for people that just throw caution to the wind like this, and especially when you know you always hear wild turkey populations everywhere starting to hurt a little bit, that uh, yeah, these guys need to get the book thrown at them. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, yeah, um, kind of breaking one. news. It came out today from the New York Times, but uh, Canada Goose, the parka company, uh, said in by 2022, they're going to stop buying fur. And if people aren't familiar, the Canada Goose jackets, which are a big fashion trend or whatever have you, um, they use real Canada goose down and then all their fur line hoods are real fur. They're coyote fur hoods. Um, and you know, they're, they're pricey. I think they're about a thousand bucks or so. 
but um you know that it's a good quality material and it's helping out the trappers it's helping out everybody and that's why coyotes are staying high right now is because they're such a big uh fur buyer but they say as of 2022 they want to be quote-unquote carbon neutral or whatever that means so uh they're not going to stop using fur per se they're going to try and recycle a lot of their old furs and buy back jackets and things like that so um they're going to still keep using fur but it kind of seems like they're kind of getting bullied around by PETA and things like that. Even though they stated they weren't, those uh, those kind of people just kind of bully and bully and bully until they finally get what they want, no matter what. So I have to imagine that something like that is taken into account for this type of giant hit. And, you know, it affects a lot of people, a lot of trappers, a lot of you look at long term populations, you know, if coyote fur goes down. You're going to see more coyotes on the landscape. You're going to see more taxpayers paying for coyote removal in different ways other than trapping. Um, it's it's We've had a lot of bad news about trapping lately, and I don't like it. No, not, not at all. And, you know, they're working for sustainability, and it um, – I, you know, I hate to see that some of these organizations have as much as much push as they do. But the unfortunate thing is, is that they do. They have the, one uh, big the thing I don't understand have, either so, is if they want to achieve you know, carbon neutrality, uh, how are they going to fill their jackets if they're not using goose down? Then it's going to be synthetic materials. And that means it's going to create carbon emissions and all that stuff. I don't. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, it's going to be petroleum. It's going to be petroleum based. Yeah, I I don't get it either. But whatever, you know. And this, it's messed up. But I think everyone that's in, you know, anyone that's in the hunting, trapping, or fishing sphere understands the 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 um, kind of push that PETA has. And it's an unfortunate thing in this situation where coyotes are attacking people. And need to be very heavily managed, and they're and just start. It's starting to get scary. It's starting that, to be. So. They're taking a lot, and you know, trappers and hunters and fishermen never win in these scenarios. We always have to give up stuff, and it's getting to be where they're starting to come on really strong. And you know, some something needs to put a stop to it. Otherwise, this is just the tip of the iceberg for what they can go after. They've already gone after a lot of hunting seasons and a lot of, a lot of hunting regulations and things like that, they get pushed back. But if we put, if we can push back against those and stop them dead in their tracks from PETA and humane society, then we need to be able to push back for things that even if you don't trap, you still need to do that because it can happen to your next thing where you like to run dogs for bears well guess what that's coming next and things like that so it's it just need we need to keep that stuff on the radar to try and uh get in front of it i think because this is just getting out of hand with with trapping and things like that it's just all it's all getting bad names and it's all kind of needs somebody to stick up for the for the cause i i agree with you well, it's messed up and, you know, keep pushing to keep 
good regulatory practices for, for hunting, fishing, trapping. I think that's all we could do. Speak with your legislatures, your, um, you know, natural resources organizations, whatever you can to keep these things in place because they are, we can't reiterate this enough. And I know we're kind of beating a dead horse on this podcast, but we need these things. It's just a plain hard fact. Yeah, I just, uh, gets me fired up, but I'll, uh, I'll get but, over it. Speaking of management practices, um, there was a critter in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, right in my neck of the woods here, right about an hour and a half up the road. Um, I don't know. There what wasn't the no hodag. Was, and I'm scared, Zach. I'm scared. <laughs> it might have been a hodag. But here, I will play the recording for those listening right now. So we'll cut right into it. Hang on. Here we go. Everyone listen. Make sure you grab the auger. Okay. Got it. <laughs> Dude, go, go get my fucking light. Go get my fucking light. <laughs> so, so uh, apologize for the language there. Yeah. But, what, what was um, that awesome? Yeah, were you able to hear that, Zach? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, and I'm scared. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, possible Bigfoot, I don't know. If you're listening to this and you can identify that sound, let me know. So, Zach, you, you watch a couple of these videos. There has been multiple, and they're saying even hundreds of people, in Rhine, which Rhinelander is actually a fairly substantial-sized town in Wisconsin. And um, a lot of people started hearing these weird noises up in Wisconsin, and people think it might be a Bigfoot. Which it could be, could be a hodag. I don't know, but uh, Zach, what do you think? Uh, and how much would you crap your pants? I, I don't even know where to be. Maybe it was that Bobo guy that goes looking for Bigfoot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I haven't heard <laughs> uh, animal ever make a sound that closely resembles that. Um, but Austin, tell me if you didn't think this too. But how convenient that an ice fisherman is just recording him walking on snow when this happens. Don't you think that's a little fishy? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, because there's other videos of people like on their porches just listening. So it's hard to say because a lot of people did it. And I, I could be one to attest. I'm sure this guy was just recording like, oh, look at how early I'm out you know, right now, like, Ooh, look, I'm out so early to catch some fish. Um, and so I could see that. So I don't know how much I believe that, but, um, I don't know. It is, it's fishy. It is fishy. And I listened to a lot of recordings of various creatures that could be in Northern Wisconsin. And if I was led to believe it was anything, I would be led to believe it was an elk actually which elk are making a big resurgence in Wisconsin, especially central and northern Wisconsin, and people aren't used to them being around. And uh, I think this may be an elk or even, oddly enough, potentially a moose that uh, made its way down there because there's plenty of moose in the UP, and that's not a, a far, you know, it's about 200 miles, and that's not unheard of for a you know, juvenile moose to make its way down to expand its territory. So I think it could be either one. I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it's a Bigfoot. 
but I can accurately tell you that I would crap my pants yeah. and run for my life. It's, if I uh, so that's what I do. I mean, along with that, it's just kind of weird too that it's, I don't exactly know when this was this, uh, were these videos in April too? Because if they were at the same time as the article, then there's no reason moose or elk or anything should be making any type of calling noises like that either. So this video was posted April 17th is when this video was posted. Yeah. But I don't know if that's when it was taken. So, uh, you know, this is a week ago. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Very strange. Very strange. So if you have any, maybe we'll cover that as mythical creatures of the North Woods. And if anyone if has you see, any stories, if you, that'd be interesting. If you see but, them um, or you think you, you yeah, want to so, go out and hunt them, listen to episode one and figure out how to do that because we cover that. <laughs> we did i forgot about that yes yes, ago. yes we did cover hot on to bigfoot so yeah uh listen to that if you want to get weirded out um, but, but yeah so uh that's all we got uh zach i think we could cut right into the cody honor interview now and we got it's a great interview and i think we'll cut right into it right now Okay, so this week we have an exciting interview. Uh, this week we have Cody Honor. So, Cody, yes. the first question that we, we want to kind of ask you okay. here is, or first thing, lead in for the audience here. Um, who are you and what do you do? So, well, why do we have you on this podcast? All right, well, my name's Cody Honor. I fish on uh, the UWSP bass fishing team um, up until I graduated in 2015. And then from there, I qualified through the Costa, Costa series and qualified on the FLW tour. And now I made the decision to stop fishing the FLW tour to join the Bassmaster Opens to try and get in the Bassmaster Elites. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you because I, I, you know, I follow you on Instagram and I saw that some of the FLW stuff had kind of. I didn't see you posting anything from any of their tournaments. No. Um, and I and and the follow up question was going to be, so what tournament series are you in currently? So I guess that answers that right. question. So you're in the Bassmasters currently. Correct. Correct. And uh, and how has that been going with uh, all of the quarantine stuff? Are they still holding tournaments? They are. They are. Like we've had. So since January, I'm used to fishing from early January, like rigorous schedule from January till April. And that's kind of like our super hardcore, like on the road every two weeks type deal. But this year it's, I mean, for everyone, it's super screwed up. So like I've only had one tournament and that was back in January. Then this last one that was supposed to be in Louisville was canceled. Then Cherokee, which is supposed to be early May, has been canceled. And now, assuming, um, I would assume that our next tournament, which will be on, shoot, it's it's uh, losing me. But um, our our next tournament in the end of May will, I would assume, will be canceled as well. So yeah, because I. I know for the uh, for the college fishing, they've been, which I mean, all of the colleges are closed, obviously. But right. 
they're pretty much SOL. All of our all of our guys that are fishing in the college series, they're this season's looking like a complete yeah. blast for the most part. Which yeah, sucks, yeah, but... it's too bad. Like I feel so bad for the guys that are in guys and girls that are in college right now who like this is a part of their college experience, which is kind of too bad. Yeah, no, it's rough. It's rough. And then, I mean, how does that affect um, just with this stuff and not to get too far off topic? I know this is kind of extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. with the COVID, but how does that affect you guys for all the scoring? I mean, are they are they making any like um, corrections to the scores because of lack of tournaments or is it are they going to do anything to? Well, they, that? they are in full efforts to reschedule everything like they just I just got an email the other day where they have the other two tournaments rescheduled for later this fall so it'll be a super busy fall but they fully plan on having these events which is cool but it's going to be super busy and super packed which is gonna yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a wild wild couple months come like september oh, october for sure yeah and um you know to, to kind of get back on track here a little bit i know all this covid talk i'm sure everybody mm-hmm. and their brothers heard that's all, all right. we've been talking about now but just on so for you and you talked about fishing in college if you could explain if you were you know a, a college angler if you were or if you were explaining to a college angler how do you make that leap how, you know how did you get into professional fishing what was that that kind of chain to get you to where you're at now well um I guess, I guess the best way to explain it is to make some serious sacrifices with your social life. I'm not saying you have to, you know, like avoid all parties, but definitely, definitely take advantage of the time that you have while you're in college to be on the water. If that's something that you really want to do, Make sure you are on the water as much as possible. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's snowing, downpour rain, cold as heck. Like, it doesn't matter. You need to be able to figure out fish in every possible circumstance that you come across. And I did did that, you know, through college and high school and then beyond. And that's really helped me in the next level is just, you know, for the most part, uh, fishing at the next level is decision-making and decision-making comes from experience. So having the, like a mass amount of experience on the water is going to help you so much going forward in any tournament, especially at the higher level. So, I mean, we all, we're all, uh, fishermen. We all like to fish all that stuff. And, you know, being a professional angler is kind of like every, kid that likes to fish his dream when uh when in your life was that something that you said i'm really going to dedicate a lot of time towards trying to achieve well i i really didn't know off the get-go like i i don't know there's some i guess there's a there's some kids who are kind of bitten by the bug and i i definitely was bitten at at a young age that i just wanted to fish I didn't know what it was. I remember watching, I idolized this local TV, um, TV host by the name of Joe Bucher when I was a kid. And I, local, yeah. don't he not local. Yeah. Come on. Everybody I, knows I, Joe like, Bucher. Come on. I idolized this guy. Like every Saturday morning I was up at 6am, like watching this guy. I didn't know what it meant, 
but that's I wanted to like fish for a living and then um I was a big musky fisherman I, I didn't really want to do anything with bass fishing I love musky fishing up until college and then I heard that there was a way that you could fish competitively in college and so I joined that's when I decided to make my decision I wanted to go to Stevens Point because I heard that they had a great school for fishing and you know <laughs> like I didn't know what major I wanted to be in I didn't care I knew that they had a good fishing team so I went there and as soon as I started doing it I loved it I loved bass fishing it took me a bit to like figure it out over musky fishing but like I was super you know that I was all in as soon as I started fishing those as soon as I started fishing bass tournaments I was super into it and that's when I kind of learned that was my route that that I wanted to take to you know try to pursue it as a you know a, a living and so and actually on that note I do have a question on a personal note um so are you is uh, do you full-time fish is that just your job or are you uh doing at the moment like while like this corona stuff is going on I fish or no I don't fish I work I work for an electrical contracting company and then I'll do some like well, I can't really guide anymore, but I would do some like part-time guiding and, and things like that while I'm, while I'm off of the road. Um, and we also like do some filming and whatever, whatever I can do to like keep sponsors happy and keep, like, keep everybody. Yeah. Everybody yeah. Well, that's the name of the game. That's I'm the name of the it. game, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and uh, yeah, so for you and I know just kind of staying on that same topic is um, during the tournament season, what does your life look like during the tournament season? I know you just mentioned travel. You don't have a lot of time to work. What is like for someone, I want to be a professional fisherman. It's just like people that say like, I want to be a cop, but don't understand the paperwork. I feel like it's the same thing that it would be in a professional fisherman. Can you kind of delve into what your day-to-day life looks like in tournament season? It's definitely a mouthful. Let's uh, let's put it that way. It, you know, like when when you're in college, you you like imagine this glamorous lifestyle of, you know, I'm on the road, I'm fishing every day. This is great. People are paying attention to me. Like, oh, this is awesome. But in a lot of ways, it's it's not. You know, it's not like all it's cracked up to be. Do I absolutely love the crap out of it? Yes. Um, is it everything I thought it would be? Maybe not, but, um, <laughs> um, but it, it's the only, only way I, I want to live. But like day to day, you know, I am a semi driver. I drive, you know, at minimum, like last year, I, ju- I just got a new truck. And last year, I put 55,000 miles on it. And, Ooh, like, man. And um, so you're a truck driver and you're usually by yourself. So you've got to entertain yourself. And then when you get out, when you get there, you have to plan everything. You have to plan your hotel stay. You have You have to figure out where the launches are at. And then at the same time, you have to keep the people that are keeping you out there happy. So it's it's a lot more than just 
the college, well, I'm going to show up in my rig and, you know, when I make it out to practice, I make it out to practice and we're going to go see how we do in this event and, and shoot for the best. But man, it's, it is, it is a, a, a legitimate job at times. So is it the only job that I would prefer? Yes. <laughs> but but yeah, it yeah. can feel like a job at times, especially when, you know, like you go through a little bit of a slump or, you know, things aren't quite going your way or all of a sudden you just, uh, like I had this happen last year, you miss a check by one place, you had all your rods and reels stolen, and then as you're driving home, you have a flat tire in your truck, and then an hour later, you have two flat tires in your boat, and you only have one spare tire. <laughs> Jeez, Louis, that is nightmare. I'm going to have oh nightmares God. about that, just that, thinking but, about it. Goodness that's, gracious. That's, I mean, that's living on the road. Uh, it's, it's a wild lifestyle. Where was that, that at? Was in Grand Lake. Grand Lake. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. And so how did, how, well, and I want to hear more about this story. How'd you get your All right, so stolen? this is totally my fault. This was 100% my fault. So I went, um, I, I'll take, I'll take full credit. I left my rods out. I went into my hotel for, for a brief second to charge my phone. And after that tournament, it was super grueling, like, you know, hard practice, very, very limited bites. When I say limited, I mean, in three days of practice, I had two bites and I caught, I had four bites in the tournament. I think four bites or maybe three bites, all of which I caught and it was raining like downpour. So I, I came back and I was, I was just done. I went to go charge my phone in the hotel room. Before I knew it, I, I lay down in the bed and I opened my eyes and it was seven o'clock in the morning. I walked back out and all my rods are stolen, which are the the yeah. kiss of death, man. Yeah. The old five uh, the five minute yep. nap, yeah. Like I I was devastated, but yeah, you live and you learn, I guess. Yeah, so you you get your rods stolen. So and this is when you're done with the tournament. This you is, got your rods stolen. Yes, this is when I was done with the tournament and just down and out like yeah it was it was a it was a roller coaster of a week and i'm i'm just out of it completely out of it and you know the next thing you know i wake up it's the next morning and i instantly felt like that pit in your stomach when you know you screwed up and you know <laughs> that, that you, you did something bad and i, I looked outside the, like the hotel window and like oh no <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah oh, it, 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 yeah it's real it's real yeah well, that sucks and see like, well here go ahead Zach sorry well no I've just I've heard too that like sometimes you're oh a lot of this is out of pocket right so you're trying to save money and you might be wind up in like a a hotel or motel on the bad side of town because you're really trying to pinch pennies in between these oh, tournaments because yeah. like you said travel and things like that absolutely i mean th this was the sketchiest of sketchy let's put it that way and i should have known but uh um yeah like you, you you try to make sponsorship dollars work but and it helps a great deal but in the end like your overhead is like serious amount of money so 
you got to like cut cut corners as as much as you can whether that's you know like eating i i don't like a lot of fast food but whether that's you know eating mcdonald's like a lot or you know going to the grocery store and getting wonder bread and peanut butter like whatever you got to do to make ends meet you you make ends meet so yeah it's one of those things well and one thing and this is a funny thing and i and i fished uh you know and actually i think we may have actually fished tournaments together and not even realized it because back in the day i used to do the three lakes musky classic yeah uh the fall classic and the spring classic yeah. uh quite a bit um but and that's about the extent of my true tournament fishing mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, and I'm not a big tournament guy for the exact reason. And like you said, it's a job. And the thing that I hated is my thing is, is if I'm not on fish, especially you of all people can attest mm-hmm. when it comes to musky fishing, you're there's one fish can win a tournament right. quite easily. Oh yeah. And, and one thing that I always hated was like, you know, I'd want to just grab one of my rods and be like, ah, I'm just going to go for some crappies. You know, yeah. like, you know, the, the muskie aren't biting. I just want to catch fish. Yeah. And I think people that don't tournament fish don't realize how grueling it could be. You can't stop back at home and just go and grab lunch real quick and, no. you know, have have your mom or your wife make you a sandwich real quick and go back out onto the water. If you got to use the bathroom, it's out on the boat. Yeah. Like, you just got to, you are on the boat for, you know, 12 hours or however long the tournament is. Oh, yeah. And I don't. And I don't think people realize that with these tournaments. They just see little blips on TV, and they don't realize, no, they've been out there all day yes. eating everything on there. So, yeah, that's uh, it's grueling. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, like, I, I get I get crap from my buddies up here because the bass fishing up here is very different than it is down there. Down there, they receive a ton of pressure. A ton of pressure. Like, a good day is almost... Like, a really good day is probably catching, it depends on the lake, but, like, 15, 15 to 20 fish, and if it's, it's probably a good quality average. But up here, you know, 15 to 20 fish in some of our lakes, like, inland lakes, that's not that good of a day. So, they're like, oh, it's just bass fishing. Like, what's the big deal? And then you you kind of want to be like, oh, uh, it's, nah, I won't explain. It's a little different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, yeah, that uh, that totally makes sense. And and on that topic, and this is one thing uh, that, you know, I wanted to talk about is what is and for you and there's a couple questions on yourself stick to one. But how, how different is it for you, for your techniques, your tactics, when you have to go from a southern body of water to a northern body of water like how do you do i feel like you know me as a primary almost exclusively northern fisherman i know my techniques and i know you fish the eagle river and three lakes Mm -hmm. chain i could tell you every nook and cranny of that whole chain and how to fish it the rivers up here but i wouldn't know you know i wouldn't know anything about fishing down south right and it it does come with a lot of experience and I, I don't even I don't even want to say like uh, you know experience down there. It it comes down to like tournaments experience, like more or less practice experience, and how I utilize my practice through for that tournament. Because we only have three days, and a lot of these lakes are fifty thousand acres plus, so it's a it's a daunting body of water. But you can't treat it like that. You more or less 
try to get a feel for what the body of water, where uh, where along the fish are in accordance with that body of water. Say it's springtime and the water temps are 55 and the, the fish are on the cusp of, of moving up to the bank, but they're not quite there. Where are they in that transition? You just want to get like a taste of where they're at. And that comes, and when you get a taste of where they're at, you have, I do a lot of study off of the water, like a lot of map study, a lot of Google Earth study. So I, I once, once I get that little, little hint of where they're at, I can go back and, and remember a lot of that map study and be like, well, there was that bank over here. There was that fallen tree or that, that inside um, channel edge right here where I can go fish. And it's, it's a lot of off the water studying and on the water, utilizing your time to the best of best of your ability is what it comes down yeah, to. And- and what um what re and and I'll give a little hint and I, I'm a little bit of a cheater. I consider myself a little bit of a nerd okay. fisherman because uh, I have access to probably some more data than most, being uh, where yeah. I work. But um, one thing that I always look at is like the DNR numbers. Like if I'm trout fishing, I'll look at what the DNR got for shock. Yep. You know, oh they they were they went and shocked this stretch of river there was a bunch of trout that were, you know, their 80 percentile were above 10 inches. Oh, okay. That's something good to fish. What are your resources that you're primarily using? Is it just Google earth? Are you using DNR numbers? What are you looking well, at? Honestly, I'll, I'll start looking at if it's a lake that I know nothing about and there's not a ton of, you know, like I want to say mouth to mouth knowledge of those places between pros where I can get like, where I can pick up the buzzwords, I will, you know, buzzwords meaning where are, where are tournaments usually won and where are normal places where, you know, that I need to be concentrating on. I will, I will generally just go to Google search and be like fishing reports, Louisville Lake. And I will scour through Louisville Lake until I see multiple of the same, same type of words. And then, put those words and type them into a notebook. Once I have those words or once I see multiples of words, you're like, all right, what actually is this? And usually it comes down to like areas of a lake that continuously produce year after year after year after year. So I know, I know that I need to at least check that area for sure. Um, Because for some reason, whatever it is, there's a bunch of, a bunch of reasons that that go into it that the fish use that area but they will use that area and i need to be there to check it out to make sure that it's going is is kind of how it comes down to is off the water practice yeah so you're doing a lot of detective work not even on on the water yeah no that that's super interesting that's stuff you don't think about because i know like in my mind you think you find a new body water you just go out look around like oh there's some stumps i'll fish those there's a drop off i'll fish that but you're doing obviously far more extensive work than that but obviously uh when there's money on the line oh yeah a little bit time more time yeah especially when you see the guys that you're fishing against I mean, these, until you fish against them, they are truly 100% the best fishermen I've ever fished against. Like, the Brian Thrifts, the, 
uh, Scott Martin's those type of characters. They are for real. They will steal your lunch money and and laugh at you <laughs> as they do it. They do not care, and they are so good. It's it's unbelievable how good they are. Until you fish against them, you like on the same body of water, and you see them do it time and time again. You're like, how in the hell did you just do that? Expect like it's, yeah. they're unbelievable. So you, you have to be on top of your game. You have to work as hard as you possibly can to do it. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's intense, Zach. I know. I knew you just typed in some questions here. You got some. Uh, yeah, just for uh, just for like a transition from that. So you did all your research at, on your computer and looking up all these uh, hotspots and maps and all that type of stuff. So. When you go into your pre-fishing mode, mm-hmm. I've always been curious, like, how hard are you pre-fishing? Can you over-pre-fish spots? Are you catching a fish, marking it, and then revisiting it? Are you catching multiple fish in a small area? And are you are those fish catchable in the next two, three days then? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, because we have so much water to break down. Like, it took me a little while to figure out how to practice these places. And I'm not I'm not necessarily looking for a singular spot. You know, like, we think of Wisconsin, we have that one spot that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go catch fish off that. That's, that's going to be pretty, pretty good for me. Um, I more or less want to get a feel of what the water is you know, what the fish are doing and the extent of the whole body of water. I want to know if it's a hot creek and I want to get a snippet on the first day, have a better idea on the second day of the tournament and hopefully make it a third day so we can have an extremely good idea. And the fourth day, like by the fourth day, I, I figured I, I'll, I have burned my fish down and I'm going for broke. <laughs> and, and like you, you're, you're basically just, you're um you're not looking for mass amount of bites in the area. When I'm going through an area, I just want to see I want to see water temp. I want to see the type of cover that that looks good for say if it's a spawning tournament. If it's not a spawning tournament, say it's on the TVA. Most of my if it's TVA and it's in the end of May, ninety nine point nine percent of my tournament is going to be spent behind my graphs. I may, I may make only 10 casts, and that's because I'm looking for, I'll look for A, community holes, two, off-the-wall stuff that nobody's found. And you just kind of, as you go, you learn how to practice and break down these bodies of water to the best of your ability and with a limited amount of time as you can, and just keep running and gunning until you figure out you just want to get a big understanding of what's going on rather than small understanding of an individual spot if that makes sense sure yeah so you're looking at like so you're looking at and putting into your your the back of your mind and your hard drive where you're constantly catching fish in different areas and then you're just searching for those areas there on right and then understanding like looking out into the weather to, to like get a better gauge of what's what could possibly happen to the fish that I found. And then if you know that there's a big system coming through or like weather's gonna change for the better or the worse, 
just kind of planning ahead and looking at areas, even if you don't catch fish in them, just looking at areas that, looking for areas that you think that they're, they could go to. If, they're, if you know that they're there, where are they going to end up in three days? Having, like, get, like, giving your best guess at it so you're prepared for that tournament day so you have, oh, crap, they're not there. Okay, where is the best possible place they could have gone? And, and utilizing the time in the water the best you can. Yeah, sure. no, that yeah, that makes sense. And like, I'm just thinking in my head, and I'm thinking of bodies of water that I've fished over my my life. And I just wonder how you can even, you know, as a tournament fisher, like a nationwide tournament fisherman, I just it, it astounds me. I think of somewhere like, and I'm sure you've fished them before. It's like the uh, what are they called? Yeah. The Finger Lakes in yep. Missouri. Like, I just think of that one with those dams and stuff, or the, you know, the big dams, like the water temps. How unbelievably fluctuating they are because of different things. And I'm like, oh man, like I, you know, I go down to Missouri for a week and I can't even barely figure it out. And you have to figure it out, you know, right there for a tournament, let alone just me catching one or two fish from a, you know, from a shoreline or something like that. That's insane. Right. It's yeah, it can be, it can be daunting if, if you let it for sure. I mean, it, but it comes down to just having, um, a lot of time off the water, uh, off the water, you know, studying and stuff like that. So you're prepared when you get to that, that time that you actually have to be on the water. Yeah. makes sense. And, uh, yeah, Zach, you had another question here. Uh, yeah, just, uh, just curious, what kind of electronics are you running and do you do any like, uh, like, yeah, I know you're running a bunch of graphs, but then are you doing, like, other GPS systems to try and find, you know, tucked away holes or anything like that or different, like, handheld devices to do other things like that? Oh, I run – currently I run four, uh, four HDS, Lives, HDS Live 12s. Um, I run their live scope up front, and I'll also run – you know, several different mapping options on my phone and an iPad just for like, I'll have an iPad with Google Earth with me in practice just so I can like eliminate water a lot faster. You know, if I'm fishing a bank or something, if I'm fishing something that's, you know, visible cover, it is so nice to have that option with me where I can be like, okay, where I just caught a fish there in practice now okay where do i what is something that looks remotely similar so i can go check it and and figure that out but yeah graphs graphs and electronics are i mean they're our lifeblood i mean i don't i don't know other than like maybe a john cox or something who's the outlier but 99 percent of us you you'll you'll see it's funny because in practice most of us are just like graphing around and looking for looking for stuff rather than actually fishing. Yeah. Is that uh, is that live scope like that Correct. panoptics Correct. thing too? Yep. Yeah, that thing's yeah. sweet. I was looking at that for yeah. ice fishing. Oh my god! I need I need a lot more money before it, I start it's, that. It's dumb. <laughs> it's dumb. It, like I, I don't know if I even <laughs> like it anymore because it, it takes away so much of the. 
you know, the guessing game of fishing or like the, the trial and error of fishing. But, you know, you got you, you to use it yeah. because it's out there. So you got to compete. That That's one of those where, yeah, that's one of those where like five years ago, you're like, how can the graphs yeah. possibly get any better? And then oh, this I thing know. comes out and you're like, oh, holy crap. This is like, everything's just like, you know, uh, yeah, a thing in oh, the past it, now. It I don't know how they're going to go from there. And I don't know where it's going to stop, where it's actually regulated. is the problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's something I was going to ask too. And I wonder, cause I, you know, I did a, an ice fishing tournament uh, this, uh, this past winter where it was no electronics were allowed. Oh, really? And, you know, I want, and I wonder if, um, if some of these tournaments, if they're going to have offshoot tournaments where it'll be like a, uh, a retro tournament where you can't use electronics on your boat or something like that, that would be kind of interesting to oh, see. Oh yeah. I would, that would be awesome actually. Like just have, you know, a paper map and, you know, like a old school Vexlar or something attached to your boat. Yeah, when you got like, <laughs> yeah, like a a 1979 yeah. trihull, like uh, with the yeah, Vexlar yeah, yeah. built in. Like, yeah, as so long as it's like, a, a flipping bite, I think it'd be all right. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that'd be awesome. Well, I'll talk to some people. Right. Make that happen. Come on, right. you got the inside retro tournament. It'll be the new thing. Um, but yeah, and um, I guess and then I'm, old boy, old boy in his twelve foot dinghy flipping a yes, green pumpkin worm absolutely. will beat everybody every time. No, no, no. Uh, better yet, perched up on his uh, bucket seat with a bubble bubble. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Smoking, <laughs> smoking a dart of mar marbreds. Drowning that thing. No filter. No filter. Absolutely not. No filter. Absolutely not. <laughs> he bites them off. Another five pounder for the old boy back there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's got to. He's got to move all yep, the bush yep, lights yep. out of the live well to, uh, to make room <laughs> for the fish. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, that'd be uh, awesome. Cody, I but, heard this one fact, and tell me if it's a hundred percent true or it's a hundred percent true, but. Uh, any color worm works as long as oh, it's green pumpkin. Oh, that's 1,000% true. I, if you, if you, if you <laughs> okay, look at good. my boat right now, I am the most unoriginal fisherman of all time. It is literally three colors. It's some sort of white, black and blue, and green pumpkin. <laughs> well, and, and I'll ask you that, and, and I'm, I kind of want to know about some of the techniques a little bit more, but as a, as a pro fisherman, what are just some lures in your boat that you cannot go without? Like if you had to say, let's just say three baits that you had to throw all yeah. day for the rest of your tournament oh, life, geez. what would it be? Um, all right. I'm going to list some power fishing and finesse. So we, we deal a lot with, you know, fishing around the spawn. So, you know, one of the first baits that I learned how to fish as a bass fisherman was a wacky rig Senko, and then I got away with it, got away from it because I thought it was dumb. But I have come back to fruition to realize you will get your butts banked on a wacky rig Senko. And that is one that you absolutely yeah. cannot go, go without, especially around the spawning time. Um, That will catch biggins. Then, like, two would be some sort of swim bait like a like a 
whether it's big or small, like a Kitek up to an eight inch mag draft, you have to have a swim bait. I have to have a swim bait on the deck. Then some sort of top water bait, um, like a search bait, whether it's a buzz bait or a plopper. And man, like a any sort of jig. If you gave me like three baits, it would be a jig, a swim bait, and some sort of finesse plastic. I think if you if you went to went with those three, you would you would do just fine in any lake that you wanted to go to. Yeah, and it always cracks me up. And once again, I'll go back to musky fishing. And, you know, my dad and I always joke about this is we have thousands and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. in musky lures, you know, and then you always go back to like your three. That's just like what you like. Why did I even buy the rest of these? It's like a bucktail, a topwater, and then like like you said, like a big swim bait. Like, okay, that's just why do I buy anything else? Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, that's just what you revert back to. like you, you pick up a lot of stuff while you're while you're on the tour. Like it's kind of like cool tricks and and techniques, but they're very oh, like like a spy bait, a spy bait. Like I've it, it's given me my best finish on tour, but but it's very um, weather oriented, and you know there's times that it works way way better than other things in that specific time. So. It's funny because, like, we'll fish, like, there's guys, you know, there's there's so many times that we'll fish, like, you find a really good spot in practice, but I can guarantee you if it's that good, a lot of people have found it. So you see everybody, you know, fishing this same spot in very, very different ways and ultimately making it work for themselves but doing it differently than everybody else around them. Like I may be throwing a trap, getting these fish to react. Well, some guys throwing a Senko dead sticking it. But at the end of the day, we ultimately have the same poundage. Like it's super goofy how bass fishing yeah. works out. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, I always think with any sort of fishing, it's, you know, I really do think at the end of the day, it's 50% skill. And then 50% luck is really what it comes down to. Because at the end of the day, you're dealing with a live, a live critter. Oh, yeah. And I think that's anyone that hunts or fishes or anything. At the end of the day, it's unpredictable. You can predict it as much as you want, but you can't make them do what you want them to do all the time. So, yeah, that is, uh, that is interesting. But I'm with the, it's like the, the tried hard and true stuff. Just sometimes it's tried hard and true because it works. And that's, that's like you said, like, it, you know, a saint. It does. It, it just does. works. like... Yeah, there's so many there's so many of those techniques in bass fishing and it's amazing when you when you look back at tournament results, like there's some fads, definitely. Um, but when it comes to the nuts and bolts, like you you can't you can't go away from what has what has made bass fishing because it ultimately works at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um, I got another question here for you. Um, Well, two more. And these are going to be some, I guess, a little bit uh, more on the personal level. Because, you know, the whole point of our podcast is just to kind of give people some insight into the life of people that have interesting jobs within the the natural resources. And I consider this one of those cool jobs. But what you tournament fish all the time. 
and I've seen on your Instagram, oh, yeah. you still fish for walleyes and other stuff. Does tournament fishing take away kind of from the joy of your everyday fishing because it 100%. becomes a job? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, it, it, um, I shouldn't say 100% because there are yes and no's, yes and no's to that. Like if you're, if you're really dedicated to the competing part of, of fishing, then no, like your life becomes around, how can I be better than, you know, the group that I'm fishing against, but it does take away from, you know, say I want to go chase after said like 30 plus inch walleye, like, you can't just go do that anymore unless you have like a virus that shuts the whole government down. (laughs) But there are, there are pros, there are pros to having a pandemic, Um, but no, like when, when you're on tour, your life is revolved around, you know, figuring out how to better yourself over your competition. So it's, it's really like you're, you're, I mean, you go to your, your weekends are made up of fulfilling your sponsors obligations, um, you know, going to tournaments, practicing. If you get a spare minute trying to practice something that you don't know very well on the water. And that's those, those times on the water that you don't have any obligations are very, very rare which I've come to find out. And that's why, like I say to college kids have as much experience now before you try to make that jump, because it comes up and blows up in your face faster than you can imagine it. And all of a sudden you have all these obligations and you have no free time to go like better yourself on the water. So it, it does definitely become a job at times. For sure. For sure. And then okay. another, I guess, uh, th- these, uh, we'll, we'll get right. into more of the fun questions here. And I already asked you one, but uh, you got to fish one body of water for Ooh, the rest of your life. Well, I'm not going to share any of my juicy juice in Wisconsin. <laughs> um, honestly, like one of my favorite places I've been able to travel to, uh, there's two places. Table Rock Lake in Missouri is still one of my favorites. And then yeah, that's yeah. that's the finger lights, uh, right? Or is that the same uh, thing? It's yeah, in Branson, yeah. Branson, Missouri. Yeah, Brant. Yeah, Brant. Yeah, yeah. That's, where, that's where that weird dam is, and that's where you get that cold yes. water that comes yes. out from the bottom of the dam, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I fished that. Yeah, I fished that. And the water. I remember swimming there, and the strangest thing: we're out swimming, whatever. I'm with my family, and the bluegills were literally like biting <laughs> my feet because the water temp is like 87 yeah. degrees or something that's ridiculous. Insane. Yeah, it was insane. So I would say there or Lake Champlain in New York, because it reminds me so much of home and it has phenomenal smallmouth fishing and unbelievable largemouth fishing Um, like Ticonderoga, which is like a a famous name in the bass fishing, which is southern part of Champlain is one of the most ridiculous largemouth fisheries I've ever been on. Oh yeah, yeah, and famous oh, yeah. for their pencils. Yeah, yeah. Number so two, baby. good, good for good for them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's awesome. And I know, uh, so you fish, yes. you fish up north quite a bit, do you not? And when I say yes. up north, I mean northern Wisconsin. For those that are listening el- elsewhere, um, 
And what are your primary oh, chains man. up there? I the three legs chain, three legs the Eagle chain, River Eagle chain, Eagle River chain, Manitouish chain. I I love the Manitouish chain. Uh, Cisco chain is really really good when I get the time to get up there. Um, but those are those are like primary areas, and then there's obviously like a ton of lakes that you can go around those places that I've explored. Just that whole area, like, is. I mean, if there's one place I want to spend a day on if i had a day to day to fish it would be in vilas county uh wisconsin without a doubt well and that and that's yeah and that's where i grew up you know honing my fishing skills was on the three lakes chain and uh it is interesting up there just the variety of fish that you could catch you could go you you could be throwing for smallmouth one minute throwing for muskies pike you know some hammer some big crappies it's an awesome that whole chain up there is awesome and let me ask you this and this is (laughs) shouldn't give away this spot but it's okay because everyone knows about it oh yeah never fish the (laughs) town oh yeah oh yeah in the fall for sure yeah oh absolutely in the fall that's where you hammer them but yeah no that's awesome um well we got a little segment here that i thought of we'll give you a uh and zach did you have any closing questions i think here uh i don't think so yeah well okay so we're gonna give her i'll give you a uh some quick draws and i just want you to answer these okay you know rapid fire questions here i'll give you about five of them all right you ready Top water. Top water or bottom? Baitcaster. Baitcaster or spinning? Smallmouth. Smallmouth or largemouth? Okay. <laughs> Early season or late season? Up north or down south? Late uh, season. Up north. Late season. Okay. And then Musky. this one should be easy. Yeah. Musky or I... northern? <laughs> okay. And then I'll throw in a side Musky. one. Musky Hands or Hands down. No largemouth? question. Hands down. Like, that's not even, Still? that isn't even a question. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the funny thing, the, the funny thing is you ask these guys, you know, for anyone who hasn't caught a muskie, um, there's, and I, unfortunately, I, you know, I've caught a yep. lot of muskies in my life, but I am the, I'm the unfortunate one. I've never Dang. caught an over 40. Dang. I've caught a lot, never over 40. <laughs> yeah it's rough it's a rough life i live <laughs> but uh yeah no it is um that that is for anyone who hasn't caught a muskie there's no, there's really nothing no not quite, at all like quite it, like it, it it's hours and hours of chase for 10 to 20 seconds of pure chaos that you you crave exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, what is it the the fish yeah. of ten thousand casts is that uh, yeah it's um and it's a. I do feel like it's almost a way of life up north. You're either a musky fisherman yeah. or yeah. you're just oh, the guy. That's true. That's really what it is up there. Yeah. Well, if you wanted to stick around here, um, we covered yeah. a couple more topics. Yeah. Did you want to stick around for the rest of the podcast? Okay, for sure. Okay, so um, for this night, ne- well, first of all, I did want to give a, a big thank you for – interviewing with us this is a great interview i think a lot of people are going to learn a lot of different of things uh from listening to you um for our next segment we have zach's cooking corner uh zach do you want to give us a recipe here that you've been working on uh yeah i got um i got one kind of side recipe 
Uh, I had a bunch of sandhill crane and duck livers and hearts in my freeze that I saved from last fall. So I uh, think I took three crane livers and two duck livers and two duck hearts, and I chopped them real fine. Uh, I caramelized onions and browned the livers and then put it into a food processor with oil, black pepper, salt, thyme, um, a couple other little seasonings. I ground that up real thin, made a, a liver pate for spreads and stuff and toast. And I mean, it's just awesome, awesome way to extend your harvest and just, uh, just something fun to mess around with too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Well, Cody, did you have any recommendations? You're you're obviously quite the fisherman. What's your go-to oh. fish recipe? If you're out there, you catch a, a, some some Oof. nice uh, some mm. nice walleyes. I cooking them up. Fairly simple on this one. A a beer battered beer battered fish uh, fish type of guy with grandma's old mix and second maybe quadruple or more than that beer on the side please <laughs> oh of course yes you, you got yeah. to Sp- spoken like a true wisconsinite there you go but all right so that's Zach's cooking corner and then we'll lead right into it we got hot gear cold beer so zach do you want to start us off so cody understands yeah how this works? um hot gear this week i'm uh I'm thanking our president, Donald Trump, for that that couple bucks he tossed all of us because I went and bought me a new bow. Uh, oh, bow, there you go. Bowtech Convergence. <laughs> it's a real nice, I love the thing so far. Um, I'm shooting a 70-pound draw at 30 inches, and it's at IBO standard. So I'm shooting that thing screaming at like 330 feet per second, and it's just uh it's a Mercedes compared to my old bear bow, so I'm loving it so far. That's awesome. That's awesome. What do you got for a cold uh, beer? Cold beer. Well, it's not a beer this week, but I got I picked up some Seagram's dark honey. And I've been doing uh dark honey whiskey and sprite lately, and I've been hot on that lately. Okay, okay, I hear you on that. Cody, uh, you got any hot gear yeah, that you've been so using that you'd like to talk this about? Is, this is a fairly expensive product that, that I've been playing around with for some time. It is the St. Croix, the new St. Croix Legend Extreme. It is a pricey item. Let's let's not go over that that uh, that fact. But it is by far and away one of the most sensitive it is the most sensitive rod that I've ever picked up. Like you can feel a crayfish uh, molt on your jig while while you're dragging on the bottom. Unbelie- unbelievable sensitivity, really? like scary sensitivity. I'm setting the hook and rocks and logs and stuff like that because I'm not used to it. Yeah, and so what? And what are you throwing with that rod? What's your? You know what? It, like I'm throwing zero reaction baits on it because I, I like the strike is too violent. But I, I am throwing it on the. <laughs> i've been playing around with it i threw a senko on it a, a weightless senko on it um texas rig senko like an eighth ounce three sixteenths ounce in florida now i've been throwing a lot of like finesse jigs and stuff up in wisconsin for super light bites on smallmouth and it has been 
an absolute treat. If you can, if it's in your price range, I suggest at least picking one up. Unbelievable. When you fit, when you get it on the water, it's, it's nothing like I've ever felt before. And what, and what are you throwing on for, uh, typically, for typically your, uh, for like finesse stuff, it depends on cover, but to, depends on cover and, and water depth and clarity, stuff like that. But t- like a, a finesse jig, I like 12 pounds, 12 pounds, a nice, easy line, fairly finesse. Um, otherwise, like a, a, a Senko up in Florida, it'll be, I like a 40-pound a braid backing on a bait caster to a 20 or 22-pound, you know, floral leader, and I tie that with an FG knot. Do you have a preference, oh, nice. mono okay. or right. fluoro, right. what... or is it just situational as well? I I really prefer fluorocarbon. I like how it reacts on my on my spool, and it's just a touch more, um, you know, not spongy when you when you have that feel. It's more reactive to to your hands. Yeah. So I pre- I prefer fluorocarbon. Mm. And then what, okay. do you, what do you got for a cold beer? So, what have you been drinking so tonight, lately? Got I any recommendations? New one from obviously Quick Trip because we're up in Wisconsin. So and I have <laughs> I must. It's a must. just about every beer they had, but I I've been noticing this unicorn blowing fire out of its nose with a cat and a gun in its hand. I'm like, all right, okay. Whoa. This is the this is the label of the thing. I gotta Whoa. at least give this a try. So shout out to Fantasy Factory Beers out of oh Madison, Wisconsin. Nice. Um, actually, not that bad of a beer. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. The, the 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 packaging is a little bit overwhelming, but you know what? Not it too got shabby. You. Not too shabby. It it bought me. I bought it. <laughs> yeah. There, there you go. Well, they're yeah, obviously absolutely. you know up to their marketing department. They did it right. They I miss, you. I they miss Quick you. Trip. Quick Trip sponsor us. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Please, Quick Trip. We will gladly Quick Trip and Fleet Farm. And I've been saying it since I was ever in Wisconsin. Once Quick Trip partners yeah, oh, up yeah. with Fleet oh, Farm, yeah. it's over for Walmart. <laughs> it's over. It's, 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 it's over. But uh, all right. So for me, for my hot gear. Um, I've been doing a lot of um, honeydew lists uh, for my girlfriend. I recently had to build her a big, uh, a big aviary for her pet pigeons. Yes, I don't want to talk about it. Um, but uh, I picked up a Ryobi 18-volt uh, oh. 6.5-inch circular saw. Um, normally, I don't roll out of bed for anything That's right. 20 volts. But, uh, you know, I, I picked up the 18-volt. And uh, I'll tell you what. It worked like a charm. It, I mean, one battery lasted me, I don't know how many cuts, and I'm cutting through two by four. I mean, I framed this whole thing out like I framed it like a house. So two by fours, it was cutting through half-inch uh, treated plywood like nothing. I mean, I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due, and I'm not much of a cordless saw guy, but this thing did the trick, and it's uh, reasonably priced. So big ups to that. And then for my cold beer, I am also not going with the beer as those that listen to this podcast. I'm not much of a beer drinker. Um, and I'm going to be that guy. But my girlfriend likes her White Claws. And so I made a, uh, some White Claw smoothies with the Black Cherry White Claw 
and then just some uh, random frozen fruits that I had, like some uh, blackberries Ooh. and raspberries and whatever mixing in there. That does pretty sound, damn good. Not tasty. not gonna lie to you, you know. And yeah. You know, I could de- I could definitely see this summer, you know, making a blender full of those and uh, having at her. But yeah, so that's uh, that's mine. And then I guess we'll close out here. Um, this is how we close out every time. Zach, what do you got planned for the week? Anything fun and exciting? Oh, well, I, the, the water temp's getting up pretty good here. We're hitting like 75s during the day. Um, I actually caught some nice size bluegills on the shore yesterday, but we're just going to get rain until Saturday. But then after Saturday, I'm thinking about catching a mess of bluegills to bring home. Um, and then I'm just scouting and stuff. I filled my first turkey tag, but I'm going to – I got a scout because next week I have a special managed draw refuge tag. I'm trying to fill at uh, just a big refuge area where Missouri released all their elk. So I'll be hunting amongst the elk and trying to fill a, a second turkey tag next week. So just a lot of prep for that. That's good. And Cody, how yeah, about you? You got any big plans for the week in the outdoors? Head down to the Madison chain this weekend and try to try to pick us up some nice largemouth and smallmouth. So I'm pretty pretty pumped about that. I guess the weather nice. the weather's looking okay. Reasonably good. They keep pushing Reasonably back good. Upper 50s yeah, it's sweet, but we'll find we'll we'll see. I'm sure as soon as I hit the water it's gonna drop like twenty degrees. So I can't wait for that. But uh <laughs> Oh yeah. No, no. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah it, We're happening. never getting summer here. I'm thoroughly convinced of it. It no. Well actually what will happen is in typical Wisconsin fashion, it'll yeah. be 40, 40, 40. Then it'll yeah. just be 80. Yeah. And that's just <laughs> then it's just summer. There is no But spring. then it's still freezing at night for some reason. Absolute but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Unknown reason you need a yeah, campfire so... to stay warm and you have to create your <laughs> house up to seventy degrees. But yeah. <laughs> No, but that, I'm, yes. I'm looking forward to that. So it should be a good time. So, I heard I heard the Madison chain is doing really really well over the past few weeks. So um, try to catch some chatterbait fish and some trap uh, rattle trap fish and have a good time. For sure, for sure, that's awesome. Um, for me this week, um, I I uh, played myself and forgot to put in for turkey tag, so I got late season. So I'm going to be doing some scouting once again and pray that all of my <laughs> birds that I would like to shoot are not dead already, which they likely will be. Um, so I'm planning on doing that. And um, right now I am in the midst of uh, taking converting a John boat to a bass boat. So that's going to be a large chunk of my weekend is framing that whole thing out and installing electrical and doing all that stuff so that's gonna be my big thing this weekend but yeah that's all i got um oh we'll close all right so zach do you have any closing remarks uh cody any closing uh, remarks? nope just thank you cody this has been awesome and uh we appreciate having you on yeah no um i would have to agree uh cody we can't thank you enough i hope that we could have you on here again we'd love to talk to you you know, once you get some tournaments under your belt this season and kind of check back in with you once you get going with the Bass Masters. And, you know, obviously we wish you the best. Absolutely, guys. Well, thanks for so having that'd, me that'd be awesome. I really appreciate it and had a ton of fun tonight. Thanks again. Our, uh, our in-house yeah, no, uh, awesome. fishing so, correspondent. Yeah, Maybe you. we can get some seasonal updates. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> what the fish are doing and whatnot. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, cool. So 
Um, we'll close out here once again, as always, if you're a professional in the field, uh, hit us up. You can follow us on Instagram. We are at between two pod. pines on Instagram. Uh, we're found on all of your major prof- or between two pines pod on Instagram. Uh, and we are found on all major providers of podcasts. So give us a listen, give us a like, and let us know how we're doing. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs>